Hello, everyone. Welcome back to A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you very much for tuning in. Today, we are recording episode 124. And I'm very excited to have another episode. Before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, which is the same title as this podcast, A Gift from Adversity. This book was published in 2020, and this is about my book. The subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. After I published this book, I got a lot of messages from all over the world. And last year, 2022, that I decided to create this podcast so that people can come in and share their adversities, but not only that, the tools that they use to overcome and a gift that came from it. I'm very grateful that over 120 people came and then shared their life stories. But I'm really grateful that we have Frankie for us today. So let's invite him. Hi, Frankie. Hello. Thank you so much. For Hi. Thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. So, Frankie, please tell our audience who you are, your name, where you're coming in from today, and what you do, and if you have any social media website, <clears throat> anything that you want to share. Yeah, so I'm Frankie Bars, a hip hop artist, Frankie Bars. I'm a seven time award winning producer in Washington, D.C. And my Instagram is I am Frankie Bars, and my YouTube is Frankie Bars, and my Patreon page. Is I am Frankie Bars. It's F R A N K E Y B A R R Z. And I spell it with K E Y because I got the keys. So, what are the main projects that you're working on right now? Well, I'm just now closing up the Grace era.、Uh, Grace is the extended play to a lead single that I、uh, produced with my wife at the time called Made with Love. And it's a single. It's my number one single right now. And I did an extended play to May with Love called Grace. And、uh, I'm closing out the era now、uh, with the Patreon exclusive single called Rubber Band Man. And、um, I'm working on the next single in the new music era that's coming up soon for 2024. Great. Well, let's dive into our first question, which is the adversity. So, Frankie, can you tell our audience? What was your adversity? So, my adversity was <clears throat> having an abusive mother and a negligent mother. My mother、uh, was a drug addict because she chose to. She was living out of、uh, traumas. My, my mother was raped. And、uh, through my mother being raped, that's how I was conceived. She was on drugs, she was doing drugs in Washington, D.C., in the streets of the city. Of Washington, D.C., and、uh, ended up being you know, sexually abused and being raped. And that's how I came about. And I didn't find out that she was raped until I was in my 30s. And when I was a teenager, I asked my, my mother where my father was. And she said she didn't know because she was taken advantage of and she was on drugs. And then I, when I was in my 30s, I asked my counselor what she meant by that. And that's when he explained to me. You know, that she was raped. And、uh, 
the trauma of my mother being raped and, and, and conceiving me was projected onto me and all the other men in her lives. And she pretty much abused and neglected me the majority of my life. There was a time where we had a good connection, like when I was a teenager and she was um, in the treatment programs and coming out of the treatment programs. But when I became an adult and I started walking in my calling, that's when she started showing her true colors and she would abuse and, and neglect me. Um, well, she neglected me when I was a child, but she would, she abused me as an adult. And uh, I, I went to live with her a couple times because my aunt and uncle had to raise me. And then I went to go live with her in Southeast Washington, D.C. And all she would do is just, she, she, she gave like a, a 50 cent motherly relationship. And she would just ask me for money all the time. When I, when I got older, she would ask me for money all the time, but then she would, she would trash my dreams. I don't know if you can cuss on this. I don't want to cuss, but she, she would, um, she would basically shit on me. She would like, she would talk, she would talk a lot of bad stuff about my dreams. She would talk down on me being a music artist. She would talk down on me being rich. She would say stuff like, oh, when I told my mother I was gonna be a millionaire, she was like, F you, go work at the gas station to pump gas and come down here to DC and, and stay with me. You know, and um, she, when I told her I was gonna take, I told, what's so crazy is, this is so, this is like, this is prophetic right now because I told my mother that I was going to tell the world what she did to me through my music. And I said, I'm going to win a lot of awards and I'm going to tell them what you're doing to me. And I'm going to inspire millions of people around the world when I go up there and get that Grammy. And she said, good, because I'm not coming. I'm not coming to your shows. I'm not coming to your award shows. And she and she didn't. And, um, and me and my mother would argue like she would argue with me about silly stuff around the house, just being possessive and just being ridiculous. And, and uh, we would argue about it. And then she would call the police on me. My mother called the police on me like three times. She changed the locks on me illegally. She got her boyfriend, who's not even around no more, a clown. She got him to change the locks on me illegally. And uh, she called, uh, and yeah, she, 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 she had the police come and they told me I had to go. And it was snowing outside and I had one bag. I had to go to my grandmother's house. And, um, the police came to the door and she was painting this picture like I was this person that didn't do anything counterproductive. And while the police was standing right there, she grabbed the computer cord of my CPU and yanked it out the wall. You know, you can't, you, there's a certain way you have to shut down computers. You could destroy a computer by yanking it without shutting it down properly. And she yanked the computer out the wall. And the police was like, this is your mom? The police said to me, like, this is your mom? She was like, you need to get out of here quick. And my uncle you know, that raised me, he told me I need to move too. But I wasn't able to move away from my mother until I did something spiritual. And I'll talk about that next. First of all, thank you so much for sharing this story, Frankie. My heart really breaks for you. And I'm sorry that your mom was raped. Um, and then, you know, I had to go through all these addictions and then she had to uh, project that on you. And then um, I'm very happy that you're here today being very successful. But let's go back a little bit. I want you to really 
tell the audience what is it like to be raised by somebody who neglects abuse and um, being on drugs. The reason why, Frankie, is in my book, A Gift from Adversity, I talk about this um, boy that I met uh, when I was teaching music in a detention program. He told me he was in and out in juvie because our program called Genuine Voices Nonprofit were teaching music to juvenile offenders. He told me the story that since 13, 14, he was selling drugs because that's what um, his mom did. His father was in jail. When, I was, when he was 18, when he got out, uh, me and my staff, we took him to Rockport, Massachusetts, beautiful uh, North Shore beach town. And then we did sea kayaking together. And he said he had never seen ocean. And I was so shocked because he was 18. And he lives like 20 minutes away from ocean. Mm. So I can't grasp the magnitude of being neglected and then uh, raised under circumstances that people do not realize how bad it is. Can you describe a little bit more like how it was like when you were in elementary school, middle school, high school? How was it? Well, was well it first like? of all, my aunt and uncle raised me my aunt and uncle adopted me from my mother in my industrial years so elementary school i was with my aunt and uncle and they were nurturing me during you know my developmental years and industrial years while my mother was still on drugs and i reconnected with my mother as a teenager because my aunt and uncle then they turned on me then they turned around and kicked me out over something silly <laughs> so it's like I, I had my mother Dealing with that as a child, I mean, I, there's nothing I could really do about that. So I was a child when all that happened as far as her doing drugs. My mother nearly, she tried to kill me. She 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 almost, she didn't abort me, but she might as well have aborted me. And then my aunt and uncle raised me as a child and then they kicked me out. And then I went back with my mother. So the experience that I, that I was conscious of, of, of her being abusive and negligent happened in my teen years and my 20s and in my 30s so it made me feel very angry i was angry at everybody it developed a lot of anger because i didn't understand while i was going through this like like i'm such a i'm a righteous person i'm a godly person and it's like why do i have to deal with this i'm trying to do great things i don't have time to be dealing with a crackhead mother like i was i was i was angry that's that's what it did it made me extremely angry. I was angry at my aunt, my uncle. I was angry at my mother. I was angry at my family. And I and I was angry at God. So that that was uh that's what it was like. It was like a bunch of anger. And a bunch it was a disconnect. And it was a bunch of anger and frustration. Yeah, thank you. How about school life? Like, you know, going through it, how was your grade? How was your friends around you? Were there anybody who was supportive or were they teasing you or anything, making fun of you or anything? All right, so this is the thing. When, when, I, when I was raised by my aunt and uncle and they were protecting me from my mother, they were just really using me as the companion as a scapegoat because they couldn't have children biologically. 
and that's enough. But I didn't know any of this though, because they were just nurturing me. I didn't know that my mother was my mother until I was like 12. I thought my aunt was my real mother for like 12 years. So they sent me to private school. My aunt and uncle sent me to private school and they sent me to Christian school and, and raised me in Fairfax. I lived in Fairfax, Virginia, and I would go to DC for church and my family. So I was vacillating the Washington metropolitan area and they surrounded friends around me that were like, you know, successful black people, like, you know, Christian people, godly people, people who have businesses, people who are professionals. So I, I was blind to who my mother was as a child growing up with friends in the school and stuff. I was nurtured by my aunt and uncle because I was their baby because they couldn't have any biological babies. But then when I grew up, they kicked me to the curb because I went, I, did, I had my own thoughts. I had my own thing. So childhood was pretty fun because I was blind to what was really going on. <laughs> but when you united with your mom at 12, that's when the abuse started? The abuse, I wasn't really, uh, mm -mm, mm -mm. It, was, it was good for a while because she was recovering. Like I was the light in her life. So that my aunt and uncle put us, got us back together to you know gain some stability because I was acting up in school when I became a teenager. The abuse and the negligence didn't come until like I was like 18. And then it would go good for a while. She was really just hiding. And then it really came out when I was in my 30s. When I became a man, that's when the abuse started, for real. Wow. I know you mentioned about the police, but 30, how can she abuse you when you're 30 years old? I know, right? All right, so to abuse, abuse is when you misuse something out of its original intended purpose. Abuse is misuse. That's what abuse is. She would verbally, she would verbally abuse me. She would call me out of my name, call me out of my calling. Like one day, she had called me a, a B-I-T-C-H because we had a disagreement about something. Like I said, she would she would say, you know, F you in your in your dream. You know, uh, she would cuss me out. She would she would call my grandmother and tell them bad things about me. Me going after my dream and living out my calling. She would go and, and talk trash about me, talking about he said he wants to be rich and he wants to be this and he wants to do that and just talk down on me to my uh, grandmother and turn them against me. So when I say abuse, I'm talking about verbal abuse. But the abuse as a child was her using the drugs and her trying to and her trying to discard me, trying to kill me through the drugs because she didn't want to have a baby. And the, yeah, the neglect was her not wanting to have a baby, her not raising me at all. That's why my aunt and uncle had to raise me. So when you discovered, do you remember when you discovered that your aunt was actually not your mom? I was 12 when I, when I realized that my aunt was not my mom. Right, but when you're 12, do you recall some feelings, discomfort, upset, like confusion? I was shocked, but I wasn't upset because I already had a good life at the time. 
Like my aunt and uncle provided me with a good life. So I didn't really have any reason to be upset. I mean, I was upset at my aunt and uncle because they had this, they had this shit. It was a lot like the adversity is <laughs> like a, a pro a pro and a con. It's like a gift and a curse. Like my aunt and uncle, yeah, they nurtured me, but that was all for them. They were being used by God for real. They were never really on my side. My mother was abusive and neglected, and my aunt and uncle were trying to make me to be what they wanted me to be. They were using me as the companion that they could never have. So after um, you got kicked out from them, did they abuse you? Did they kind of kind of were mean to you or not really? Your well, aunt? me and my aunt and uncle would fight all the time, and that was physical. Well, all right, we are, me and my mother got physical too. But now me and my aunt and uncle, we fought, like physically fought, and me and my mother fought physically. So how do you describe people when you have so much adversity within the family like that? And it's very complex too. Um, you're asking how do I explain it? What I'm trying to tell you is sometimes when abuse happens, it's outside of the family member, say abusive relationship, um, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend situation, husband, wife situation as well. But when it's within the family in a way. So my point is, if somebody you, you date or you marry, that's not really like your direct bloodly related family that is abusing so you can kind of like you know block them ghost them whatever then what when it's a family member like my case my father abused me my uncles too that is when the disconnect that you're talking about and then the confusions and all that stuff happens so how do you describe your family your own family member who's there is the one who's abusing you I felt trapped. I felt trapped. I was trapped. You know, so I would use other things as release. I was always misunderstood. I'm still misunderstood. <laughs> but I was always misunderstood by my by my current family. And there was a disconnect. There was no there was no normalcy. Yeah, I was angry at my family for a while. Yeah, I was trapped. I, I definitely was trapped. I just want to highlight a little bit. So when you are going through domestic violence, um, that could be say again, romantic relationship where you can like completely cut them off from your life. And especially when you were seeing the, a red flag, especially when it's like an early stage, it's easier to get out of it. But when it's your mom, when it's my father, like my case, that the word that you just said, trapped, that's how I felt. Like, how can I get away from it? And that's, that's the normalcy that you mentioned that, it was my normal life to be abused. 
and that was the only life I had. And then, you know, beaten up a lot and sexually abused, verbally, psychologically abused from my own father. That is like probably the worst feeling of everything that I've experienced even after I escaped from him when I was 13. Um, I must say of everything that happened afterwards, that was probably definitely the worst because it's a family member. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's the worst when it's a family member. When it's somebody like your mother or your father, that, that's the issue. Yeah, you 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 get it, because you've been there. Yeah, when it's your mother, your father, your aunt, your uncle, the, your guardians, the people that's supposed to nurture you and the people that's supposed to tell you I love you, reverse it and become your number one enemy. And it, it took me a while to understand that, you know, my cousin was, was trying to really explain to me, like, yeah, your mother is the enemy. Your mother is the enemy. <laughs> it, was like, it was hard to accept that. It's like, to my mother, like I naturally would love my mother, and we had connections and stuff. Like we had a connection, you know. We could be silly together and laugh together, but it's like, nah. But she's the enemy, though. And it was, it was, it was hard to face that every day. I tried everything. I tried everything to get away from my mother. It is so hard. Um... And in my book, I tell about a parent, parenting. I'm pretty vocal about this. So Frankie, when you think about lawyers, doctors, teachers, they have to go through crazy amount of education, tests, bar exam, certification, money, all that stuff. But when it comes to becoming a parent, which I think is the number one, the most important job in the world, nobody has any say of, hey, you need to go through this program. You need to go to school. You need to get the certification until you can have a child. Nothing like that. You just create a child without any you know, certification, licensing, prerequisite to be a parent. And that's when it comes to the confusion that you had experienced, I had experienced, because we were supposed to respect our parent. We are supposed to, you know, look up to a parent and the parent's supposed to protect us. But then mm -hmm. the reality is not. There's so many children who are abused sexually, verbally, physically, because parents, they don't know what they're doing. And then that's where the stigma comes from. And then the stigma is that your relative will tell you, why are you not respecting your mom? Why are you not respecting your dad? Why are you not relating to them? Why are you not getting along with your parent? You know what I mean? Right. That's exactly what I was going through. So, um, Frankie, as an adult, how is it affecting you today? How old are you? I'm 38. 
And how is it truly affecting your daily life for what you went through? Mm. Really, I mean, how it affects it. I mean, I share great music. <laughs> That's how it affects it. I don't really, I, I gained closure with my parents and my aunt, uncle and my mother. I gained closure with them this year. I moved out of my mother's house a while ago. I moved out of my aunt and uncle's house a while ago. It, it doesn't really, uh, they don't really affect me. I mean, it affects my music. It affected my music. So it affected my story and my writing. So how does it affect me today? I mean, I share music that encourages other people to forgive their loved ones. That's how it affects me. I, I, I'm a beacon. I'm a beacon of light. That's how it makes me shine. It made me shine. I mean, I'm a superstar. I shine. I share my story with people all over the world. My EP, I share with people all over the world. I got people in Germany listening to my music. I got people in places that I've never been that listen to my music and listen to my story. People that I just met, strangers get inspired. I'm a superstar. That's how it affects me today. It made me a superstar. It doesn't really, it doesn't really have any influence because they're not in my life anymore. They're old. Like my mother's on drugs. She's a drug addict. She's, <laughs> I pay my own bills. You know, I don't really need them for nothing. So it doesn't really af affect me. It, it, it affect my music and my testimony to others. So I am Asian female and I had certain expectation for people to be as an Asian, soft-spoken, you know, respectful, whatever, um, serving men kind of social stigma that I was raised in Japan. My question was, of going through this abuse and then especially the crazy adversity, as a Black male, did you have any stigma fighting with the mental health or sharing with people? Did you feel pressure? Did you feel any kind of um, backlash or anything that you remember? Well, first of all, I don't, I don't, I don't consider myself black. Black is the presence of all colors. I'm Ethiopian. I'm from, I'm of Ethiopian descent. You see, my mom and my aunt and uncle never really knew who I was. That was another thing, like stigma. Stigma is my own parents, my own guardians didn't even know who I was. They didn't teach me about heritage. They didn't teach me about bloodlines. They didn't teach me about ethnicity. Um, I had to find out, I had to break away from my parents and go out in the world and connect with other people to find out my heritage. So I'm Ethiopian. I'm not African-American. I'm not American. I'm Ethiopian. I'm from Ethiopia. I'm from the motherland. My bloodline is Habasha. There's over 80 ethnic groups of Ethiopia, and one of them is Habasha. I'm Habasha or Habisha, which is bloodline of Christ. So I'm bloodline of Christ. I'm Ethiopian. The the stigma is people thinking that I'm black. The people the stigma is oh he's a colored person. The reality is I'm Ethiopian. I'm Habasha. I'm bloodline of Christ. I sit just below God genetically. So the stigma is. People don't even know who they're dealing with. So I would uh, constantly get misunderstood. It's just confusion. No one's ever able to take me. They don't know 
how to receive me. The, the stigma is people not knowing who they're dealing with or what they're dealing with. And I've had to deal with that my whole life. And I still deal with that. But it's cool because I'm a, it all works through for the art, you know? Like, if I wasn't an artist, I, I would be dead. <laughs> like, because, yeah, the, the stigma is people not understanding ethnicity. The stigma is people not understanding heritage. The stigma is people disregarding our history <laughs> as Moors. The word Moor means a brown-skinned person. So just people, the stigma is ignorance. The stigma is fighting against ignorance. That's the real stigma. I had to fight, I had to do that with my mom, my aunt, my uncle, society, people, white people, people of color, Asian people. Like I, I know I told you before in a private conversation that I used to work for an Asian lady, Korean. She would tell the people that the carrier is black. And I had to tell her, no, I'm not black, I'm Ethiopian. I respect my heritage. So I, I think that the the uh the stigma is educating people on who I am and educating people on our blood, of our bloodline and what Africa really is and who we really are. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because um, when you see white people um, and then when you see French people, when you see Italian people, people immediately kind of respect, oh, are you Italian? Are you British? Or are you French, right? But then when it comes to black people, I think that there is a, a lot of stigma. But then when it comes to black people confessing, disclosing like their heritage, sometimes it can become a stigma itself. Oh, you're not black. Yeah. You look black, but you're not black. And then, you know, what are you? Like, you know, and then, you know, if you are say if from different country and then you're not African American then you talk different and your culture is different. And then they'll like try to isolate you as well. Yeah, that happens. That, that happens. When I, when I educate Caucasians, when I educate people from the Caucasus Mountains, who we are, it creates a problem. Like I, I got white friends, you know, your um, European friends that are, equal rights activists and protests and stuff like that and advocate for people of color, for equal rights, for people of color. And when I tell them who we really are, my, it turns into an argument. It turns into a fight real quick. I'm talking about from my white friends, like I be in their houses, I eat dinner with them, I break bread with them, I cook for them, they cook for me, they do stuff for me, I do stuff for them. But when, when it comes to me talking about our heritage, they don't want to hear it. They do not want to hear it. My white friends, they don't want to hear it. I've, I've had one of my closest white friends tell me, I don't need to know about African history. And I tell them, I don't need to know about American history. And they try to tell me I'm, I'm African-American. No, I'm not. I had to set them straight. I'm not American. I'm not with the Babylonian shit. Respect me for who I am. Respect me for my bloodline. And uh, they would they would share with me, all the lines that they draw in our country, the colonizers. And she gave me the history of the colonizers, 1776, and the lines, the, the years that they established, the years they took over the country, took over the world. And uh, But when I explained to them about what we took over, 
they say, oh, I don't believe that. Oh, where's the facts? Where's the facts? You know, so it's like the stigma is, you know, when you walk in the truth, when you walk in your true power, it offends people. People get upset. And then uh, after a while, you know, they get over it and they, they don't get shocked anymore. So after a while, you know, me and my white friends are able to eat dinner again and be and it be cool. They don't even, they accept the fact that we're Moors. They accept the fact that I'm of Ethiopian descent. They accept the fact that I sit just below God, you know. It's cool, but at first they get all worked up. <laughs> you know, so the stigma is a worldwide thing. It's not just with my family. My my aunt and uncle, they don't really know their heritage like that. I know they don't. All they know is Jesus and tithes and offering. That's all they know. My mother, she don't know. I asked my mother who I was. She was like, oh, you're Cherokee Indian because your uh, grandfather was Cherokee Indian. I was like, what else, though? She didn't know. A, a lot of people of color are disenfranchised. A lot of people of color are placed in the ignorant box and nescient. The word nescient means that you never had the opportunity to know. Ignorant means that you know, but you ignore what you know. You ignore the knowledge. You ignore the truth. So I, my family is nescient and ignorant. And But guess what? When I go out into the world and I, my fans, I have fans who are white and I connect with them personally and they don't understand our heritage. They don't understand what it is to be a person of color. They don't know. And when you explain it to them, they try to fight you about it. So this is a this is a lifelong battle. This is a it's not just my family. This is a, a it's a movement of enlightening the world on who we are as um, Ethiopians, people from Africa, people from Kush. So this is it's a long fight. It's a lifelong fight. Well, Frankie, thank you so much for telling your adversity. Let's uh, move on to the second question, What, uh, which is my favorite part of the podcast so far. Uh, this is about the tools that you use to overcome. But before you share your top tools that you use to overcome, the reason why I like this part of the podcast is because a lot of times people never experience this magnitude of trauma or adversity they just say, hey, just forget and just like, you know, move on. You're fine. It's not fine like that. So I've had guests tell me really um, out of box kind of tools that they used, which I actually was able to apply. And some guests um, um, that shared that tools that my audience were able to use, etc. So Frankie, what would you say? and share with our audience some of the top tools that you are able to apply to overcome your adversities. I'm gonna say this in real short, and I know it may not be concrete enough for some people, but I'm gonna just be real with you in real short. The tools that I used to overcome the adversity was forgiving my mother and my aunt and uncle a multiple amount of times. How I overcame the tool, the tool is continual forgiveness. The tool was continual forgiveness. The tool was forgiving them multiple times. When uh, I'll give you an example, that's the answer. Very short, but it's simple, but it's not easy. In the Holy Bible, when uh, 
the disciples asked Jesus, how many times should we forgive a person? Jesus replied 777 times. Now that sound that may sound like an astronomical number. And you may not have to forgive every person. It's literally 777 times. But the reality is sometimes forgiveness it doesn't, it ain't gonna happen one time. The, the portal's not gonna open up, your universe is not gonna open up just off one time of forgiveness. In most cases, it takes a series of circumstances, multiple times. Yeah, forgiveness over series. I had to forgive my mother several times and my aunt and uncle and my family members. That's the tool. The tool is forgiveness. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. So let's talk about the last question, a gift that came from your adversity. So what was the gift that came from your adversity? So the gift was my music. The gift is Grace EP by Frankie Bars which is available on all music platforms. The gift was me getting married and me and my wife ex produced this EP telling the story of what I overcame and telling my story of how I rose from an abusive situation, forgave my mother, hustled and struggled my way all the way through DC, Atlanta and Virginia. And it all ended up being made with love. So the, so the gift is a grace EP by Frankie Bars and you, people can find it on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. And then I have exclusive singles that have other backstories attached to the story. Uh, my Patreon page at patreon.com slash I'm Frankie Bars. Well, thank you so much, Frankie, for coming to A Gift from Adversity. Before you go, can you please tell one advice for somebody who is maybe going through the same situation as you did. The advice is you, you got to forgive. Like forgive, love and forgiveness get you off the wheel of karma. Love and forgiveness, love and forgiveness gets you off the wheel of karma. A lot of us were, were sent back in this realm to forgive or love in some type of way to reverse our karmatic experience. And a lot of the stuff that you're going through is just, is a, is a test, is your karmatic experience that's testing you to love and forgiveness to get you off the wheel of karma so that you can receive your blessing in life, so that you can receive your superpower. Whatever your superpower is, if you're called by the light, Whatever your superpower is, you're not going to manifest your superpower and be an influence to others and be successful in this life until you overcome the abusive situation, which is a test for your testimony. And love and forgiveness is what gets you over the abuse to where you can express your superpower. Well, thank you so much again for coming to A Gift from Adversity today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you to our audience for listening to another gift, uh, another episode of 
a gift university. We have more shows coming up on Q. So looking forward to more conversations. <laughs>